Welcome to the podcast Beyond the Triangle. I'm Amy Beth Horman, and this is episode 12, entitled Relationship Goals, Your Collaborative Pianist. Today, I will be discussing the importance of this vital relationship in an effort to help parents better understand its role in a young artist's development. This episode is part of my Relationship Goals series for the podcast. I started this series because I believe that when we strengthen our relationships that we find in a child's training, as well as the decisions that we make around them, we are helping young artists from the ground up. As usual, I'm going to give you real talk from all the perspectives, student, teacher, adjudicator, and parent. I'm going to be sharing personal accounts in today's episode to illustrate how important this relationship was for me in my own training, as well as share how I've made decisions and suggestions to parents as a private teacher in my own studio. I will also be discussing the approaches I see music institutions taking to ensure the presence of collaborative pianists in training. And I will detail how parents might implement these benefits independently if they're not currently enrolled in a young artist's program. So let's get started. I'm going to start today by talking a bit about the need for a great collaborative pianist in your child's pre-college training. For some parents, this is fairly new territory, as the first part of their very essential training, Suzuki or similar, included a pianist for recitals, but generally not on a regular basis in lessons. This is normal. When students have switched to my studio over the years to pursue advanced training, they are generally surprised by how much we work with a pianist in the studio. I can understand that. It's an added presence and expense in the advanced levels, but it is also one which is well worth it. Let's talk about some different ways private studios and institutions provide this staple role in a child's training in the upper levels. I'll do this by providing my own personal experiences as a teacher, pre-college parent, and former conservatory student. When I was a child, I was very fortunate for a long time in that I had two pianists as parents who were more than happy to perform or rehearse with me. But when I was about 12, my parents were less and less able to play some of the harder piano scores to present that sonata literature. They may have been capable of learning them, but they were both working full-time, so this didn't allow for that kind of practice. Luckily, I was studying with a teacher who really understood the importance of me rehearsing with a collaborative pianist, and he requested that we set up twice-a-week rehearsals with a pianist of his choice. He also had that same pianist attend lessons regularly so that he could coach us. This was a definite added expense my parents took on at his request, and I know that it made a huge difference in my training, so I'm so grateful they did it. We always had a sonata or duo in the repertoire we were preparing, and this helped me understand that I needed to listen in a more detailed, artistic way to play with another musician. As the repertoire difficulty increased, so did our time together, and these rehearsals remain some of my fondest times as a young artist. From that initial duo 
came a trio and a quartet, all with students that were much older than me at the time, but it was still more fun for me than I could have ever imagined. I felt so fortunate to have the opportunity to share music with other instrumentalists in this way, and it gave me a totally new sense of community in my work as a young musician. A few years later, at the Paris Conservatory, the program I was in was for soloists, and it was the highest level of the conservatory, so arguably the most intense in training. This program was providing two hours rehearsal a week with pianists, and they were also present in all of our private lessons. We had two private lessons at the conservatory a week, so I was seeing a pianist for at least four hours a week to train with them, usually more because I had long lessons. It was very rare that she was not in on our lesson, and she performed with me the entire time I was there for all events and competitions. As a teacher, in the performance opportunities I provided for my students back east, they were required to have two to three rehearsals with piano unless I approved otherwise. I did this as a measure of protection for them to have a great experience on stage. And sometimes those rehearsals were just a portion of their lesson on shorter pieces. So maybe 15 to 20 minutes of their time with me. If it was a longer work, it might take the entire lesson to rehearse properly. But having a few times to go over details with the pianist ensured that both the student and the collaborative pianist felt confident on stage and that their experience performing was a valuable one. Now, as a parent at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music in their pre-college program, they allow for two hours of rehearsal time with a pianist for any scheduled performance. This is covered with your tuition. Performances are scheduled by request and have to be approved first by your teacher. I love this system because Ava works hard and wants to perform and that hard work and her teacher deeming her ready are then rewarded with more time training with a pianist. It's a win-win situation for us. If she weren't practicing as much, a request to perform might not be approved, and this would mean less time with the pianist, and that would also make sense. The message there would be to hone in more on her individual practice before adding the piano part to the mix. She has to do her part first and reach the goals set by her teacher. So while it is a marked change as you enter advanced training, I think there needs to be a shift in understanding with parents about collaborative pianists. It should be exciting to add this more serious approach involving a pianist more often in the training. It is an indicator that your child has arrived at a higher level and in a sense should be a point of pride. They've worked hard to get to this point. Certainly parents need to be made aware of the cost so that it doesn't come as a surprise but as a teacher, I also wish for them to be excited for the artistic growth that is about to happen. When I start having to schedule a pianist more often in a kid's lessons, I have a reaction which is not unlike rubbing my hands together with enthusiasm. Because to me, as a teacher, this means we are moving in a very positive direction with their training. And that great performances are right around the corner. Let's talk about why this added time with the collaborative pianist matters. 
If you listened to my episodes on competitions, you know that I consider adequate rehearsal with piano to be a very big deal. I think the same way for any performance. Whether you're appearing for a concerto competition or a solo competition or a recital, proper time with your collaborative pianist can make the difference between it looking student quality or professional quality. Here's why. There are many pianists out there who can very skillfully follow your young soloist and make sure they are backed up getting from point A to B. But see how clinical that sounds even when I say it? Who wants to listen to that? This isn't an exam. Even juries aren't exams in my book while you're performing. This is music making, and it should be an experience between the performers and the audience. If you are under-rehearsed, your performance can end up sounding pretty basic. And if you haven't put in the necessary time, this is all you can hope for, really, because I believe there are no shortcuts. There does exist, of course, efficient instruction, strategic coaching, and the quality of your practice and score study paired with a great collaborative pianist. But even with all of that in place, you will need ample rehearsal time. I'm pointing this out because some parents I've encountered think it is possible to achieve end results more quickly. I feel that they rationalize this belief to themselves because they feel their child is very talented, which they might very well be, and that they are paying a well-known pianist who can get things done quickly, as well as studying with a wonderful teacher. They also might think that in an adjudicated scenario, it is just the young artist being assessed, not the pianist. So if the lack of rehearsals causes the pianist to not catch everything their young soloist is doing, they don't think that that will be counted against them. While this is true on a basic level, that a pianist's occasional mistakes won't count against your young artist, it is also a dangerously false notion that how your child responds to the pianist and what they are able to do musically with them won't weigh into their scores. Their ability to pick up on nuances coming from another instrument and their sensitivity to another part absolutely will be taken into account. And this takes rehearsal. Whether you're shooting for that perfect score and competition or more applause than you could ever hope for in a performance, you will need ample rehearsal time to achieve this. The truth is, for some pieces, it might take far more rehearsal than you think. If you are rehearsing a Bach concerto, you might be able to prepare it well in a few rehearsals. But if it's the Corigliano Sonata, you will be in for weeks of it. Most compositions present more complex rhythms and a lot more opportunities for conversation between the instruments in the advanced level of training. Even in concerti, with an orchestral reduction on piano, you will have countless opportunities to make music together or respond to the piano mimicking a member of the orchestra. On too little rehearsal, you will miss all of this, and it ends up sounding like the pianist is working only for you, not contributing musically to the equation. Not only do pianists not like this, it's selling any composition short, as the piano part is not written as a mere backup. 
being under-rehearsed also doesn't allow for the soloist to be responding to or conversing musically with the pianist, which sells their abilities short. So how will you know how much rehearsal will be needed? This might help parents budget out in advance, so I think it is really worth discussing. Consider asking your teacher as you start a piece what you can expect in terms of rehearsal necessary if you're going to use it in a performance or competition. Barring some surprises which a teacher cannot predict, most great teachers I know can tell you on day one, I think this piece will be fantastic for you, but I have to warn you, it will require extra rehearsal as it is more complex to put together. Or, I think this piece will be perfect for you, and good news, it's simple to put together. You might even choose to compete on certain pieces that are easier to pull together during busier months academically. Knowing a guesstimate for how much preparation in rehearsal is needed on a piece allows you to plan strategically for your family and to plan better for success. Use this life example. If you are someone who celebrates the holiday season like there's no tomorrow, taking on extra commitments and running your schedule into overtime, you probably wouldn't be enthused about also taking on a huge new work project in December, right? Allow your young artist the same advantage by understanding the needs of a work first before you sign on. If your child is just starting out training at the pre-college level, you might be asking yourself, what should rehearsals feel like at this point? What can you expect once you are studying harder literature? What's my role as a parent in this? Well, first off, I recommend that you try and have rehearsals in the presence of your private instructor or during your lesson time. They know these scores inside and out, and they can help you streamline the process of rehearsing a complex work. Having taught major concerti for many years, I can tell you that in the first rehearsal, or maybe two, a child is generally trying to just keep up their part and achieve soloistically what they are aiming for. It is in the later rehearsals that their body can relax enough to actually achieve things more musically and think about the chamber music that exists in every piece. Being able to do this can really help a young artist feel empowered on stage because they aren't just limited to their part, but they are creating something larger with another musician, a fuller effect representing the entire work. When I met last year with the parents at the conservatory, one of the things we talked about was how to manage expectations at each level. And one of the things that came up was the expectations of the larger works and their full preparation, including rehearsals with the collaborative pianists. As a teacher, one of the things I see the most that causes tension in a young artist's training is a parent that has an unrealistic expectation for that rehearsal with the pianist and how easy it should be to navigate. And before I continue, I understand why they think this way. For many of them, they have been wondering for years what it will sound like to hear their son or daughter play the Mendelssohn Concerto with piano. This is an exciting moment, and I would never want to downplay that. As a parent of a pre-college student, I understand this completely. But having had no experience playing it yet with accompaniment, 
I can usually predict that on the larger works, most children will see their individual work get very tested, if not fall apart as they first place it with piano. It can be really disconcerting for everyone. Most teachers, however, seem undaunted by this, as they have seen it all happen a thousand times. Things fall apart, and then we learn as we piece them back together. Still, tensions will rise very quickly in the room. In a parent's mind, they might think they've studied their score, they've even played it with the teacher mimicking the accompaniment in prior lessons, listened to YouTube videos, and they know their entrances. So what's the problem? Well, for one, the pianist has never heard their version before, so they will be adjusting to it in real time. Also, the child just has no idea of how their body will react to the added adrenaline of playing it with piano for the first time. Fortunately, this adrenaline should subside with each try, but there are also new issues of balance to contend with. Can we hear the pianissimo dynamics with piano? Are we getting enough drama and strength and tone in the fortissimo passage work? Now might be a time to adjust some of those edits to make this all work. You might find a teacher changing fingerings or bowings. So these could be changes happening to things that were very solid before this moment. It could be rocky, and this is par for the course. During these sessions, I suggest that parents give themselves the important job of recording and taking notes if there are missed ensemble spots or entrances which need more work. This can help in the practices between rehearsals. It's very hard to recreate how a student feels when the pianist is not there, but with recordings and notes, you might be off to a good start. They will need prompting to remember that what sounds fortissimo to them playing alone is actually only forte, needs to be bumped up to withstand the bulk of a full piano part, or that their beautiful pianissimo needs a better sounding point with the bow to come across so that it doesn't sound sleepy against a larger instrument. These things take practice, and at this level, we are working on the ability to present a work true to score and with another person at our side to respond to. If you are currently in a young artist's or pre-college program, you might have a pianist already that you're regularly working with. But what if this is not the case? Or what if you need to find a new one? Let's talk about how you can identify one that might be able to work best with your child on a regular basis. First off, ask your teacher for a recommendation. They will likely not only know the pianists in town who could take this on, but they might have an idea also of their availability and location. At my studio's peak, we had five pianists coming in and out of the studio regularly with one we used most frequently. The demand for rehearsals and performances or competitions was too great for one or two people, and we had a multi-tiered studio for all levels. One advantage to this was that certain personalities or skill sets in students matched better with certain pianists than another, so I was able to tailor things a bit as I was striving for everyone's best results. So definitely start with your teacher. I advise parents to form a list of available pianists in the area with your teacher and your music institution's help. Have this list handy with all contact information 
You might need to reach out at any given moment to find a pianist, and having a list will save you a great deal of time later on if you're in a panic. Stuff happens, and sometimes pianists have emergencies, so have a few people on the list. As you initially work through the list, here are some other tips I suggest to parents who are searching for a great collaborative pianist. There may be more than a few choices in your town or school, and this is good news. If you run into them or are hearing them at events and performances, you might find the answers to some of these questions just by paying attention. First, try and assess their availability. Some pianists are incredibly busy and may not have the time to take on a big project or be there for multiple rounds of competitions with the rest of their schedule. If you speak with them, I would let them know that you are looking for someone who can help with projects A, B, and C, and that you are also considering D, E, and F. I suggest this because sometimes you will invest a lot of rehearsal time with a pianist and get a concerto sounding stellar, only to find out that when you make the finals of that competition out of town, they can't travel with their schedule. It is really upsetting to a young artist to then have to start over with another pianist, and it's an obvious waste of money that you can easily avoid. For Ava, once we established a good working relationship with a pianist at the conservatory, he was quick to ask for her dates coming up to try and be available for her. I really appreciated this forward thinking on his part, because training her to play with a second pianist is an extra expense and stress that we would rather avoid. So check availability with calendar in hand. And here's some real talk with a tip from me as a teacher. You should have a fairly good idea of what competitions you are going to be doing at the start of the fall. Most competitions will have repeat events, if not during the same time each year, at least inside the same month. I handed all of my parents a competition calendar of possibilities, and they would whittle it down to what they wanted to do based on their wishes and family calendars. We usually had 50% of the competition dates already marked in pen, just by sending those organizations a brief email asking if they had their set dates yet. Others, we put in pencil based on the two prior year's dates, and that usually put us very close. So as you head into the fall, have a draft of a personalized competition calendar in front of you. You can use this when you speak to your pianists to see if they would be available for multiple events on the same piece. Okay, let's say a pianist gets recommended to you or you hear one at an event and your teacher is not familiar with them. How can you proceed? First, ask your prospective pianist whether they have experience playing with your chosen instrument. If you are approaching a pianist who is new to your teacher or just new in town, they may be working already with other studios in town and know a large part of your literature. Or they might not. The more they have played your concerti and major works in your repertoire, the better, because each time they do it, they get more flexible and experience more varieties of interpretations. World-class collaborative pianists are so responsive to changes in tempi and different nuances that they can be incredibly smooth and fluid with young artists. That's why they're hired for the major competitions. Pianists have a harder time achieving this on music that they're not familiar with, 
So by checking their experience with your instrument out, you are guaranteeing that they have some history with at least the more common pieces in your repertoire. This can mean, in the end, less rehearsal and reducing costs. Certainly, anytime you receive a suggestion from another parent or even another pianist about a prospective collaborative pianist, run it by your teacher first. There might be a reason they have not suggested them before. And yes, it can be helpful to get advice from other parents, but it is more helpful to get seasoned advice from your teacher. While most of the pre-college parents have only encountered pre-college training for a few years, established teachers have been doing it for 20 years or more, so they have built up a pretty good understanding of the pianists around town and which ones work best with their teaching style and students. Give this some thought. Decades of prior knowledge on a pianist or any musician have to be worth something to you. Occasionally, they may have had issues of dependability, lack of preparation, punctuality. It could be anything. Just know this. A teacher can save you a lot of trouble later, and while one parent might have had a great experience with a pianist for one or two events, I would place faith in years of experiences through a teacher's eyes and ears first. Another thing you can try and ascertain while looking for a collaborative pianist is how willing they might be to learn a new piece if there is one in your repertoire which is lesser known that you might be using during the year. You might pick up on this just by attending concerts and seeing your potential pianist performing a newer work. This says a lot about them and their willingness to add to their repertoire. Certainly, if you've already worked with someone who had to learn a new score for you and it went beautifully, put a huge star by their name. Collaborative pianists are very busy and learning something new means extra time for them, so this is a huge bonus in my book. Some either aren't as willing or more likely just don't have the time to commit to doing a new work well up to their standards. And trust me, there will be a time when you have a piece that they have never performed. Okay, by now, maybe you've narrowed it down and are ready to start working with one of the pianists on your list. Once you start working with someone, consider this a trial period for both of you for the first few go-rounds. Try and assess the following. Punctuality and reliability. Once you start working with someone, you will see this rather quickly, and it isn't something you can ask ahead of time. But you should be able to find out whether or not they keep on schedule, can meet you outside of their studio, or will attend your lessons. Also, take note of their temperament. How are they both in rehearsal, lessons, and performances? After you have performed a few times, you will have a nice sampling of their temperament in all of these. Do they remain professional in the teaching studio, and do they arrive ready to get to work? Are they proactive in troubleshooting ensemble issues, helping correct rhythms, and observing score with you? Are they willing to compare editions or rewrite orchestral reductions, which prove unworkable? How fluid they are working through these obstacles can tell you a lot about them. A great collaborative pianist would be undaunted by this, and they will be actively finding workarounds, striving toward your best performance always. How about in lessons? Are they responsive to change if a teacher requests it? 
Are they willing to change dynamics in the score or make adjustments for balance? Are they retaining changes from the last rehearsal and applying new information as they go? With every rehearsal, there will be a smattering of new information presented, whether it be to allow for a different tempo or liberties a teacher would like a student to take. As much as we try as teachers, we are training young artists and they are growing in front of our eyes. So last week's tempo might be ready to receive a bump a few weeks later. And a great collaborative pianist for young artists is excited for this, happy to participate. How do they arrive for competition? A great collaborative pianist will arrive ahead of time, and they're calm and collected with music organized and ready for a good warm-up. They're there to help you do your best. The best my students have ever played is with a pianist who is emotionally very grounded and always prepared. Some pianists have a better temperament for this than others, honestly, and some kids are more sensitive to a pianist's temperament than others. You generally want your pianist cool, calm, and collected because, trust me, the best collaborative pianists I've worked with have seen it all. They have managed under very stressful concert conditions and will catch a kid who jumps three pages ahead. Remember, these are still young artists in training, so things will happen that are unexpected, and your pianist is expected to not just roll with the punches, but to do so exceedingly well. I once witnessed a kid win a major concerto competition on a lesser-known piece, and when I spoke to the pianist later, he said he skipped over a whole page, but because he knew the style of the piece, he was able to make something up on the piano on the spot, covering for him until he came back in, and nobody, including the judges, was the wiser. He turned two pages at once to join him, and nobody even noticed him. A great collaborative pianist can be an absolute lifesaver. Certainly you want to take note about their rates. Just like anything, rates will vary. But notice how I put this last on the list of things to look at? That's because you definitely need to pair their rate with other things about them, like location, willingness to meet you somewhere, willingness to travel, and how they charge for that, their ability to learn new repertoire, and a whole host of other things. Cheaper isn't always better if some of those boxes aren't ticked. In fact, cheaper might turn out more expensive in the long run. So assess the other things first that we've talked about today and then factor the rate in. So maybe by now you've picked your collaborative pianist and things are going swimmingly. This last part of the podcast is dedicated to how to maintain a healthy relationship with this wonderful musician that has entered your child's work. What are some things that you can do to make them happy and enthusiastic about working with you? Like all relationships, you will need to be mindful in your interactions. This is so important because as a teacher, I have seen relationships with collaborative pianists tank due to parents just not understanding their value in lessons and on stage. This can then lead to huge regrets because it turns out it isn't so easy to replace them. In most scenarios, they are under no obligation to work for you, even if they are working regularly within your studio. This is true because brilliant pianists like these are in high demand, working mainly as a freelancer. 
So there is nothing binding them to prioritize their schedule for you or even work with you at all. So you want to prioritize this relationship for your child, and therefore, it's exceedingly important to know what really matters to them. In an effort to be crystal clear about what makes them happy, I reached out to the best collaborative pianists I know, and I heard back from all of them within an hour. Isn't that great? I genuinely think it is a wonderful thing that they took this time to communicate with me because it shows that they truly want parents to understand what they need from them so that they can work efficiently and have a wonderful musical experience with your kids. Here is what they told me, and you'll see that some of it ties in with what I've stated before. First, and most importantly, when you write them, they need you to be clear about what pieces you are playing and the location and time of all of the events you need their help with. They need you to be to the point and exact about all of these pertinent details. Include additional rounds of any competition and winner's recitals so that they have the ability to see you through a whole process if things go well. It also helps to state where you would like to rehearse if it is in your private lesson and not at their house, and the name of your private instructor. Without this crucial information, they are going to have to write you back and forth, and this is unnecessary and not respectful of their time. Do not have children write them because you are the parent in charge, and often details are harder to attain from young students. While this might seem like a great teaching moment to have the kids take charge in this way, it generally backfires and causes confusion, and it gives the pianist more work, and they haven't even been hired yet. This next request from pianists was unanimous, and it involves how you provide the music for them. When you're assigned a new piece, I suggest you buy the original part immediately in the edition of your teacher's choice. This goes even if your teacher has provided an edited part for you to begin practice on your solo. Once you get those original parts in the mail, make sure you scan both parts in PDF form so that you have them on your computer. Make sure that it's clear and doesn't cut off any of the music. This enables you to send that piano part quickly to any collaborative pianist so that they can prepare for your rehearsal. They need this time, so send things earlier, not later. If you haven't figured out how to scan original parts onto your computer in PDF form, now's the time to learn. Those pianists want those parts as soon as you can get them to them. Here's a side note. Do this even if your teacher is also doing this for you. Most teachers I know will have those PDFs too, but certainly at this level, parents should be doing it as well. In pre-college training, it is crucial to be organized with this. And a lot of those teachers are busy most of the day. This will enable you to do it yourself. Once you have your PDF, print out that piano part clearly, double-sided, and place it in a three-ring binder. Most pianists I spoke to prefer the parts to be given to them in this way. It acts as a booklet and it's easy to sit on the piano stand. You should be carrying this binder around with you everywhere you go in your child's training. Any pre-college kid I know has multiple pieces that they're working on, so all of those piano parts need to be in that binder and with you at all times. 
If your teacher has made specific changes to the score or personal edits that might be useful for a pianist, like tempo or liberties that your child is taking, mark them directly in the score to save time in rehearsal. Update this piano binder every few months. You will do review for pieces often, performing pieces many times over, so keep a review binder of piano scores at home. If you have gone digital with your music, do all of this digitally too, and have a folder on your device for the pianist. But I would also have a real binder too, because some pianists are not yet used to reading from a screen and would prefer the real part. As a pre-college parent now, I always carry Ava's piano parts with me to every lesson. It is in fact the first thing that made Ava's collaborative pianist at the conservatory smile at me. I do this because I can't tell you how many parents in my teaching studio forgot their piano parts for rehearsals. And no, your pianist won't always have it for you. Your teacher might not either, because the bottom line is, this is on you as parents. Think about this scenario. Say you plan to do one piece for something coming up in rehearsal, but it went so well with the pianist that you still have time and you could do another piece to get a head start on putting it together. If you have the score in your binder, you're in luck. If not, you've lost an educational opportunity. Nobody planned on that happening in the rehearsal. And once you have had this happen a few times, you realize why some kids have many pieces ready to go on stage and others don't. Organize your scores for your child's education and success. Here's the next point from the pianists I spoke to. Be aware of their rate by asking and make sure you have payment on hand in rehearsals. Some pianists have a preferred method of payment too, so just ask. Some will want checks and others will prefer cash or PayPal. Paying them on time is paramount. They may even have a separate rate for performances or for competitions. You need to ask these things so that everybody is clear. They have umpteen clients they are working for constantly, so they should not have to remind you or bill you afterwards. That's creating extra work for them, and it affects your relationship. Also, ask them how they prefer to be communicated with. This is really important because sometimes I think we accidentally cross over boundaries now with our smartphones, and we we might text occasionally at the wrong hours. Some pianists I know prefer email only, and I can understand why. They have so many families they are working with, and texts can really be an interruption in other rehearsals and practice, while an email can lie in wait for them for when they get a needed break. Here's another good tip I got from one pianist I know well. If you're performing a lesser-known work, do not assume that it isn't difficult and forget to send it in plenty of time for them to take a good look. Send it earlier so that they can fit its preparation into their already busy practice time. The thing is, you have no way of knowing when they will be able to do this, so in a sense, the difficulty of the part has no bearing. By sending early, you're being respectful of their time and allowing them to fit their practice in on said piece where it works best for them. Certainly, if it's very difficult, they will need it even earlier. Sometimes parents will make an assumption that a piano part is not difficult, and they send it too late in the game or even assume that it can be sight-read at a lesson. 
A piece can look spare on the page, but have a very difficult key signature or just be awkward if it's a reduction. The amount of ink on the page is never enough of an indicator to a piece's difficulty, especially a piece they've never heard of. A few pianists that I spoke to were very distinct about the need to be clear in rehearsal if parents have specific goals that they would like to achieve. Do not wait to announce these goals later in the rehearsal because this can cause a rehearsal to drag over time. Usually these goals are set by a teacher in a lesson, but at times a parent who's been doing this long enough may have a specific goal, like putting a whole sonata together and running it. If you don't communicate this goal early on, it may not happen. And here's some real talk for today's episode. Communicate your rehearsal goals clearly at the beginning of the session and then let the professionals run the rehearsal. Parents generally should not be running a rehearsal unless they are professional musicians themselves, and this includes in the absence of a teacher. Your collaborative pianist is a seasoned professional musician. I know the stakes seem high sometimes, and parents can feel the need to intervene, but a professional musician like your teacher or collaborative pianist will know how to best accomplish the tasks at hand and keep on schedule. Trust them to do this for you. Another piece of advice that pianists had for parents was to be consistent and clear about cuts and tempi. I know sometimes these things will need adjustment, but it is just a good idea to try your best to secure these things before the first rehearsal, or certainly by the end of the first rehearsal, and then keep it. Keep in mind that pianists are typically playing for multiple people at any competition, so if you are throwing last-minute cuts at them, this is just not ideal. If you're a veteran pre-college parent with a child who competes, you know that certain competitions will give you time limits. This can affect where 2Ds need to be cut. Try and decide where these cuts should be prior to the first rehearsal. Allow your pianist the chance to practice these cuts so that they can serve your child in competition confidently and not feel hassled. Lastly, make sure to communicate with your pianist about any successes that have happened as a result of your time with them. They love to hear these updates and it makes their day. They are a crucial part of your child's training and they should be part of any celebrating as a result. If, for example, your child performs with orchestra on a piece your pianist helped them prepare, invite them to the concert and offer them a ticket. They are not behind the scenes in your kid's training. They are front and center. Showing them you understand this will provide your child with a lifelong supporter and collaborator. I hope that this episode has given you many new things to consider about the importance of your relationship with your collaborative pianist. I'm confident that if this relationship is framed correctly and prioritized, a young player will grow more confidently into the artist they are meant to be. Stay tuned for our next episode, The Importance of Chamber Music. I've been busy doing research about what the leading music institutions think about the role of chamber music and their pre-college students' educations. This is a subject I am really looking forward to talking about because I believe it is crucial to a young artist's development. To really reap its benefits, we need everyone on board, and that includes students and parents, so I hope you will tune in. 
If you've been on the fence about adding chamber music to your child's schedule or are considering prioritizing it more in this conservatory year, this episode is definitely for you. Don't miss a beat. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Podbean. If you have a question or a topic you would like to discuss on Beyond the Triangle, my ears are wide open. Write me at beyondthetrianglepodcast at gmail.com and let's connect. Let's connect.